All right, what is going on, guys? It is another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, and today we've got a real special guest for this one. Just got back, still a little bit jet lag, been traveling since 1 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, back from Texas, the land of conflict motorsports. Had a chance to hang out with Alex for a couple days and just kind of check out the Austin area, learn a little bit more about suspension. So, absolutely stoked going to have some magic for the 790 here just a few weeks and eh, maybe less of a week we'll see can't rush perfection that's what i say so really cool learned a lot about the uh, costume coding especially uh definitely something that uh you guys want to start maybe looking at on forks it is absolutely crazy how much friction gets reduced with that um it's like night and day insane so but anyway had a great time in austin just hanging out then headed over to Houston where my friends Jackie and Steve hooked it up, let me stay the night and caught up with them. Kind of interesting area. Lots of green. I can only imagine that the riding's got to be pretty cool out there. So absolutely looking forward to it. Getting out there on a big bike. Alex kind of teased uh, on that episode. If you guys haven't heard it yet, that is the episode with Alex Martins from Conflict Motorsports and Rally Pan Am. Talked a little bit about... Uh, some of the writing that he's done out there. We talked a little bit about it while I was out there, and it's absolutely crazy. So land use and stuff like that is a little bit different in Texas, but uh, sounds like they were able to get about a 250-mile ride in uh, and some of the green and river crossings and stuff like that. And so absolutely insane. So I am looking forward to hopefully getting a big bike out there. I've been looking up for information as well for the KTM Adventure Rally, but haven't been able to find a whole lot on it as of yet. So... Hoping we're still having it. Somebody point me in the right direction. I'll post this podcast once it is done and ready to go and aired later tonight. Well, I guess if you're listening to it now, it's been posted now. So, absolutely cool. Looking forward to it. So, lots going on. Shock got torn out of the 790 today. Going to be sending that out uh, as well to Conflict so we can match the front end. Uh, with the rear end because of course once you do the front end of the bike rear end is uh, going to be significantly lacking so we'll see Let's kill this music here a little bit yeah alright so we've been going over a lot of different stuff uh, if you guys have been following the episodes we've talked about the vintage 1000 about roadbook navigation and just doing some simple events kind of stuff so roadbook nothing fancy no timing and scoring but just being able to go out and get lost with uh with them so i'm thinking that's actually got a pretty cool idea we're gonna be working with those guys i gotta reach back out to adam and then had somebody else reach out to me as well and so there is a lot of vintage bike stuff going on which uh is pretty cool you know try and get some of these older bikes and i'm more into the dakar type motorcycles and the older vintage bikes like that so you see like the OG Africa Twin and uh, some of the Yamaha, the OG Tenere, things like that. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I, I almost wonder like if that's something, you know, if you can still build them and find parts and do all that stuff. Or maybe, you know, I don't know, find a, a different bike and kind of make it look that way. So the old Camel Trophy stuff, too, is also pretty cool. So hopefully, hopefully we could get something going here. But it is... March and we are finally getting into riding weather and riding season. Fair weather rider here. I mean, that's just I don't ride in the rain and I don't like freezing. 
if you ever wanted to kind of find out the argument about wind chill and whatnot, uh, you could definitely figure that one out. Uh, if you cho- uh, look up a wind chill chart for uh, motorcycle riding, I'll actually post that up on the Facebook so you guys can check that out. But it's pretty cool. Kind of gives you an idea. Man, it's cold. Uh-huh. It's like 17 degrees. I think if you're riding in like 38 degree weather or something like that at 70 miles an hour, it's like 17 degrees Fahrenheit, that is. So absolutely cold. But other than that, we're doing some work. We've got uh, new bars on the 790. We've got suspension coming. We're going to get that roadbook mounted up top on the tower from Raid Garage. I saw Raid Garage with some sneak peek stuff. It's got a brake pedal coming for the 790. I personally run their pegs on the 790. Um, I like they are 15 millimeters lower than the stock pegs. Uh, so for me, it made me feel like I was basically sitting in the bike a little bit better uh, than before. So I'm like, well, I wasn't really sure about it until I got on it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is a lot better. Word of caution, though. If you are running something like that, you do run a lot of rocks and you do run a lot of that more hard enduro stuff. Um, yeah, it may not be the best. Uh, that peg is going to be a little bit lower. But if you're riding in the sand, if you're riding more of the off-road, uh, longer graded roads, things like that, you know, some of the some of the off-road stuff, just you know, not gnarly uh, gnarly boulders and stuff like that, <clears throat> like uh, Travis over at every single Sunday. Someone needs to tell him that bike is not. A 300. Actually, no, don't tell him. He's got that thing dialed. So, saw he spent a little bit of time on that. I know he's been riding the two-stroke stuff, so it will be very interesting. So, anyway, so we've long-winded introduction, but to introduce this week's guest for In the Bivouac, uh, I'm going to share a quick story about what... Uh, how I met in my first encounter with this person was, and this was at Baja Rally uh, a few years back uh, on the adventure bike class. Uh, he was riding a Honda Africa Twin, and it was on the start of the Sanken Scene stage in the sand dunes. Everybody was struggling to leave the the start line, trying to figure it out, find that first waypoint, going through the dunes, all these witch eyes and just drop offs and really bad. And and here's this guy on an Africa Twin. Uh, the at that time was brand new to the world and I don't know what exactly the thought process is maybe he would share a little bit about that but he basically hung a right headed straight for the water bypassed all of the sand dunes and just ripped this thing up the beach I do not think that that motor had another two rpm to give him and he was at the top of the at the top of the beach before we knew it that bike sounds absolutely amazing. So I was absolutely impressed. It was obviously, it was I think it was a tr- strategic move rather than struggle through the dunes and struggle on that because it is a heavy bike. Um, he figured it out right away. And the person that figured that out right away was Mr. Lawrence Hacking. Lawrence, you there? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Doing well. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Yeah, just... Uh... I'm here at my house in uh, Georgetown, Ontario. It was a beautiful spring day. Uh, we went for a long hike with our dog in the woods. And then I so I'm actually in shorts and a T-shirt in the sunshine trying to get some vitamin D. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we're finally getting warm weather here, but it's not like what you guys get over there. Uh, yeah, where are you? Uh, San Diego. 
okay, yeah. yeah. Well, today's an exceptional day. We've had a really good, uh, really good spring so far. I haven't ridden dirt bikes yet this year, mm-hmm. uh, except in the snow a couple of times, which was fun. We have studded tire, studded tires, and uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm looking forward to riding this season. Nice. What uh, what are you going to be riding this season? Do you have a new bike for that, or or what's the? Uh <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> Can you share? <laughs> I can't. Well, I can't tell you really what I'm up to quite yet because okay. I haven't signed a deal yet. But uh, it's going to be cool. Right. Uh, for the Baja Rally, I'm not sure what I'm going to be riding. Definitely not what I'm talking about here. This is more for work. But mm-hmm. um, uh, I just was working on an old XR400 of all <laughs> things. 96 XR400, and I have my old trusty uh, Yamaha 250 WR that um, I just love that bike, and uh, it spent most of its life riding in Baja, actually, and um, uh, it's just a fun bike for anywhere, and, you know, I'm not too worried, you know, I ride for different reasons, I'm not trying to be competitive by any stretch of the imagination and and trying to compete or anything like that, and and it's all about fun for me, so I just... If I have fun riding that bike, I, I don't care what's underneath me. Really. <laughs> as long as it's fun. Yeah. Like the Africa Twin. Great story. Great introduction. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that was fun. That was, uh, that was a daunting moments on that bike in, the, in those conditions, but it was fun. I, I, have to say. I, was, I was impressed. I'm, I, it was like you knew. And it, when I just saw you beeline for the water, I was like, aha. He, he, <laughs> he, he, yeah. He's smarter than it because everybody struggled we had so many pictures that year of people going over the bars into these you know these drop-offs because of the way the wind sweeps the dunes there yeah and they don't look that big but if you hit a four foot drop off when you're not expecting it it's a little tricky in the sand yeah well yeah i know that i've ridden on that beach before and i know that it's hard packed near the near the water and uh and yeah, you don't. You have that bike. Well, I think later on that day there were the, probably the most difficult dune sections, mm-hmm. and there were parts where I thought they'll need a helicopter to get this thing out if I get it stuck. <laughs> or you know, I don't know how many sweep riders, but man, uh, there was a, cu- a couple of you know. There, I remember there was a a waypoint up on top of a flat top dune, and to get into it was a really deep you know, soft, soft, uh, I guess it would be called a witch's eye or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there were guys stuck there on on normal bikes. And I just waited at the kind of the crest of a little pass to get into it. And then just when it got clear, I just got it into second. And, you know, I, you know, that probably I could have been, the rally could have been over in, in that, in that situation because it would have been so stuck, but yeah. it, it hauled itself out. And, uh, yeah, you know, you have to be so careful on big bikes to ride them. But, they are, you know, it's very satisfying, obviously, to get it through. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine because every, everybody's looking at these, you know, at you and, and the other guys that were in the adventure class going, man, <laughs> yeah. what were they thinking? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. You know, I rode it the year. I think I rode that rally. Uh, that was 16. And I think mm-hmm. I rode it in 15 as well uh, on a 450 Honda. And, you know, riding the first time. I thought, yeah, you know, on a, an adventure bike, there wasn't too many difficult, you know, situations. An adventure bike will get through, not as fast, obviously, but and but possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, it got a little bit more difficult the second year. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it's kind of funny, but anyways. Yeah, 500 pounds. So what, uh, not yeah. double the weight, but eh, getting there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, yeah, the bike, I think uh, an Africa Twin full of fuel is 511 pounds. Uh, and they work really well in the uh, in in off road conditions, but you just uh, you know you have to be so respectful and full of humility. You, you know you just 
you have to be so careful to when you're riding big bikes of any type but it works well it has really good suspension and i still own that bike it's still nice. sitting in my basement uh very nice probably ride it for sure yeah, yeah. so i you know just looking around and, and poking around and i i saw something and i i actually did not know this but uh 2001 that was your yeah. first a car but yeah. more so than first a car it was your first rally yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so yeah. how did that happen? Because that's uh, the biggest rally out there. Yeah, well, th- it's an interesting story. You know, uh, first of all, I've ridden my whole life. You know, this is off-road riding uh, is my entire, you know, this is what I do. And I rode this, the International six days uh, five times prior to that. And, uh, you know, so that's a good basis for international events and uh, and um, and you know, endurance events, long distance, multi-day events and things. And the the Dakar was always, always on my mind ever since I learned about it way back in 1980. I was racing motocross in France for two seasons uh, in 1980 and 81. And we met riders, you know, Dakar riders. And uh, then I worked for Yamaha for many years. And I was, you know, close to the close to the Dakar effort for Yamaha in the in the heyday. They were really, you know, exciting times of John claude Olivier and, uh, and Stefan Peter Hansel and Gilles Picard and all these famous guys. And I got to know all those guys and rode with them. I actually went to Baja the first time on a, on a, on a trip that Yamaha, we organized uh, called the spirit of adventure tour. And it was, um, it was for super Tenere owners and they won a contest to win an adventure trip. And this is actually one of the very first kind of, um, manufacturer organized uh adventure rides uh there's other ones you know that have gone on since that time you know the uh, bmw gs trophy and things like that but that's when i got to know uh, a number of um you know adventure ride uh real dakar riders and i was just so this is this is the pinnacle this is climbing mount everest for an off-road rider oh, absolutely i mean yeah. it, back i mean and and you did it when it was the last like the last original Dakar. That's right. They called it a classic classic. It went from Paris to Dakar, Senegal, and it was the last one that ever took place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I followed it very closely. I lived in Europe quite a bit and, uh, you know, for a number of years and, and, you know, the, the Dakar mystique, uh, just that to me, that was, that's a real adventure. And, and, you know, I was, uh, I just had to do it, you know, and, and, you know, worked. I just was did it. That I was. Tr- I really wanted to do it that year. Um, everything else in life kind of uh, fit together as far as um, stability goes, and business, and and you know, uh, and family and things like that. So I figured, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. I was 46 at the time, and and uh, and you know, it was going to be now or never kind of thing. So I worked hard for a whole year trying to put it all together and it was a privateer effort but it, yeah. it, it worked out well yeah and so i mean there really there's there's two follow-up to that is one uh what did you do to prepare as far as roadbook like what was your experience with roadbooks up until then uh very little actually okay. um yeah i just jumped into it um you know, it, it's a, it was a little bit different in those days. It's, it was the, the true Dakar style, too. So there were, uh, the, the road book was kind of handwritten, and uh, you could, uh, you know, <laughs> I honestly <laughs> oh, didn't think about it. I figured I'd figure it out on the way. And, and, yeah. and you know, the, I have to admit, the first few days in Africa, 
Uh, I didn't even know how to turn the GPS on for the first few days. There's a, and then once the GPS, I got figured out the codes and all that. Um, I just kind of followed along with the, the crowd and, and, and tried to make sense of the uh, roadbook and the odometers. And then it's, you know, it's common sense roadbook reading and, and it isn't, you, it, the actual reading the roadbook isn't to me the most difficult part. It was having confidence in making the right decisions uh, and following along, you know, I, I obviously ride watching the terrain, not trying to, you know, fall and road, roadbook navigation comes second. So always, you know, ride the bike first and then navigating. If you're not sure, slow down and then have a look at the roadbook. But, um, you know, you get, I got, got onto it pretty well. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was a different, different world back then. It was a little bit different. Um, uh, you know, I, we, you know, ride, I've ridden rallies since then and, and you know you get a little bit better at it, and, and roadbooks reading is navigations. Uh, each each rally is a different challenge. Someone else, someone different wrote wrote the roadbook, and and uh, you know you have to you have to use all your all your um, everything, not your common sense. Uh, you know, a little bit of um, you know intuition and things like that to to do to do it properly. I think. It, it engages everything. It's not just the guy that can pin it and and ride the yeah. fastest. Exactly. Yeah. You can quickly get lost <laughs> that way. Yeah. And, you know, I've done all sorts of, you know, all sorts of funny stories. I've ridden the rally in Mongolia three times. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a roadbook challenge because, you know, it's, it's written by a Japanese guy mm-hmm. in for Mongolian conditions. I don't even know what, you know, you go there and what does this mean? You know, a clack. Well, that's a crack, which is a washout. <laughs> you know, so you see that a couple of times in the road book, and then you see it on in real life on on the ground. You figure it out. Oh, that's what that means. So it, it, every every road book is like that. That was kind of an extreme example of trying to learn to decipher what the author of the road book is trying to convey to you. Trying to do so, it. Yeah. Well, I figure that you know they what they deem as important or how they would describe something uh, could vary vastly. Sure. And then yeah. rider ability as well. You yeah. know, if if they're a slower or less seasoned rider versus somebody that's quick, we'll recognize dangers that may be more hazardous to people that are faster than people that are slower or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, reading the reading the terrain and once you've ridden it, ridden the conditions anywhere in the world, you know, water runs downhill and creates you know washouts. So Baja, Mongolia, Morocco, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So once you have that kind of body of knowledge in the hard drive, I call it, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of start recognizing patterns in, in off-road conditions, and you know, you know, you, you kind of start recognizing that. So you, it's it's a body work. It helps to have a ton of experience. You know, so mm-hmm. that's that's my forte. Yeah. But in, but, and that's more uh, the riding experience. Versus the actual navigation experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it'll take uh, some of the pressure off. Sure. Yeah, you can recognize danger spots no matter what. You know, kind of thing. You watch the the terrain and the the conditions, and once you've ridden a little bit in in a certain area. I mean, in Baja, especially. You know, you kind of it's northern Baja is kind of you, you can pretty soon you've done. I've done so many kilometers down there mm-hmm. that you really kind of know. Okay, this is over this rise things can go wrong so let's slow down and so you don't sometimes you don't uh, i don't rely too much i rely, rely a lot on the uh, you know the the cautions and, and road books but i also rely on what you're actually seeing a lot mm-hmm. as well so yeah. well you got to ride what's in front of you 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, if you you know one note may not be as bad or describe something as bad as uh, yeah as you think it would be, but it, and it, once you actually see it, you go, ooh, this is kind of nasty. You see lots of lots of examples of that. Of you know, oh, it's only a double caution. <laughs> well, depending, <laughs> maybe the guy's not going quite as fast as you are, yeah. or uh, something, and then all of a sudden it's a you know a huge caution if you're going you know twenty kilometers an hour faster through a G out or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's you a know, much so wilder ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you've seen a lot. I've seen lots of that stuff. But anyways, it's 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 a great challenge. It's great fun, and um, we're obviously looking forward to going to the Baja Rally in September. Nice. And have you thought, um, I, I haven't seen, but have you done the Sonora Rally as well? or just no, no, I have not. Uh, okay. I know the guys there, mm-hmm. uh, Rodolfo and Darren and Scott Whitney. And, uh, you know, I, we, were, we were considering going this year. Okay. But we're locked down here in Canada right now. And uh, fingers crossed we're, we're able to travel in September. Yeah. Uh, but right now it's pretty difficult to get across the border for non-essential reasons, which I think Baja rally may fall into that category it, yeah it might be a bit tough to convince that that's some kind of medical therapy or something that yeah you, know, you have to have you know? yeah so when when you did this so it's something that was kind of unique to me and then i may not know a lot on that the xr650 for your first yeah. car was your your bike of choice yeah yeah i uh you know i had been looking at i'd kind of done quite a Everything that I kind of wanted to do in off-road up until that point, except the Dakar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching, you know, I watch it every year and I was watching uh, the previous year. And that's the year that they uh, flew everybody over the, the country of Niger because of terrorism threats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought, wow, th- these these organizers can do, they'll take really good care of me. Uh, and, you know, uh, whatever they can, they, they can do anything. You know, that was a huge five-day or something uh, stoppage of the rally where they flew every single vehicle over the danger area or the, you know, threat mm-hmm. and started up the rally again. And uh, that was when it went to Sharm el-Sheikh or somewhere on, in Egypt as at the end. So they were going uh, west to east, mm-hmm. uh, something like that anyways. And then also the guy winning the rally on TV, I was watching them and it was a KTM. Uh, and the guy winning the rally, uh, they were, had to push start the bike. It didn't have a Kickstarter and something was wrong with the the electric starter. And I thought, this is the guy winning the rally and his mechanics were pushed down the thing. And I thought, boy, who's going to push start my bike if it won't start. So I, I went with the, uh, the Honda because, uh, they showed it, they showed it winning the Baja 1000 and kickstarting, you know, one kick. Mm -hmm. And I have obviously have a lot of confidence in Honda products and, and they supported me, and I thought that was also a, a good thing to do. Is I knew the people at Honda; they they helped out quite a you know a huge amount, and uh, you know for a privateer guy to want to go and ride the Dakar, uh, and I knew they would uh, leverage uh, the finish if I did get to finish. I would it, that, and to me that's equity. I got to do a whole bunch of other things because it, you know, they celebrated that finish and. And uh, that was a very, you know, very beneficial to me. Um, so that, that's one. Of, that's all my thinking is, first of all, reliability. I thought the bike was going to you know, be the best one to, to get me to the finish line with the minimum amount of, of problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was uh, quite a capable bike, actually. I, ch- I changed it a lot. It had a lot of work done to it, but it worked out quite well, all things considered. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw, I mean, you can't miss it. I mean, the, the gas tank right off the bat, you know, all aluminum. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. even know. How many, how many liters was that? Uh, it carried almost 54 liters of fuel. So, you know, well, well more than what lots, way more than a hundred pounds of fuel. Mm -hmm. Um, but in those days you had to go 385 kilometers plus 10% on one full tank. Unassisted. Yeah. Okay. Unassisted. Yeah. It was big, long distances. They were still riding big, you know, thousand CC BMWs and, and big motorcycles there because of the, the, the challenge was different than nowadays where it's all four fifties and it's quite, you know, twisty and lots of twists and turns and can, and terrain is, is more enduro like mm-hmm. now that in those days it was big, long, long days and, and, uh, comfort was important. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it, it carried a lot of fuel. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm sure the weight was, uh, all up, all in probably pretty close to the Africa twin. <laughs> probably. Yeah, I think so. I, I never weighed it. Yeah. You know, we added a lot of weight to it and you'd ended up carrying a lot of stuff. And of course I had lots of spare parts, tools, um, you know, tool bag was really heavy and lots of water. So you have to carry three liters of extra emergency water. It had a little tank on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, it was, um, uh, but that was that was the type of event it was in those days. Yeah, yeah, very uh, definitely um, not as groomed, I think, as the event that it is nowadays. Very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. Uh, you know, you slept sometimes with no tent, just in your riding gear on a dusty old carpet in a you know canvas tent, and no washrooms, no showers. Um, you know, minimum some some bivouacs, just a little bit of food, and it was really a. But you know, that's what you. I, I thought that was great. You know, now, uh, you know, people are all in motorhomes with, uh, you know, snacks and you know, changes of clothes and washrooms and, and showers and stuff. <laughs> Pretty different. A very a very different experience. Yeah, and still very very difficult, but yeah. uh, very different. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. It's a different a different type of difficult than it was compared to then, and yeah. so. What are your, I mean, they've been working on this. So, yeah, you, you know, 450s now, they've been working on it. You know, they had the tire rule this year. Yeah. Um, you know, airbags, they're, they're introducing yeah. all that stuff and all that. So, yeah. with the Dakar evolving the way that it has, what do you, I mean, will we see the big bikes back? You know, what are your, what well, are your thoughts on what they're doing? Uh, I think it's very good. Um, you know, I know the organ, the event director, David Castera. And he, I, when he, they made him event director, I thought, okay, this is the right direction because David's life is rally and he, his father was involved and, and it is, he's very, very good at knowing how to lay out a, a very good event mm-hmm. and very good at knowing the, the, uh, the, the, how the challenge to make the challenge, uh, just the right amount of difficulty, uh, and r- write a road book that ma- rewards good navigators mm-hmm. and, you know, you have to be a good navigator and that's the challenge of, of rallying. That's the art of rallying is to be a good navigator. High, you know, in when GPS first arrived in the Dakar, what people were doing was just following the arrow and they were actually getting hurt because they weren't looking for the cautions. You just, okay, this is the arrow, let's floor it. And there's guys that were doing very well that couldn't navigate. And, uh, um, so it was, it's always been, uh, the crafty, navigator kind of guy that didn't go all out save the machinery that did pretty well um and i think that's good so 
the, the challenge in Saudi Arabia, I think, is it's it's a re- evolved into a really nice event. I really like it. Again, um, it, you know, uh, in South America, it was a little bit different. It evolved, and it's it's always every year has been different, mm-hmm. uh, different challenge, different organizer, different different persons laid it out. Um, but nowadays, I think it's back to uh, a little bit of the same conditions and feel because. Saudi Arabia is straight across, you know, the, the Gulf of Arabian Sea or whatever it is down there. Mm-hmm. So the, the actual conditions are very similar to North Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and the distances are quite, quite similar. And uh, the, the good thing is it's, it's up to modern conditions. You know, uh, security is very, very good in Saudi Arabia. Um, and, you know, food has obviously evolved into really good food. Um, and you know, there's great, it's, it's a civilized rally now mm-hmm. in South America. It was a, it was a bit of a circus, you know, the, the top drivers were staying in all the luxury hotels. Someone would have a little knock on their door and hand them a little cup of coffee and then drive them to the start line and they'd get in the car and then go back to the luxury hotel. So the feeling in the bivouac is very different mm-hmm. when I did it, the feel, you know, the camaraderie in the bivouac was really special. You know, I sit down and talk to you know, the guy who's winning the rally, you know, kind of thing and, and sit there and eat, you know, lunch with, with, or, or dinner with the top guys and they'd all be friendly and everybody was, you know, it was a real nice group of people. They all kind of respected each other and, and knew that you were, you know, a privateer doing it, you know, the old style way with, with no support and all that. And it was a really good feeling. And that, that the overall experience was, it was really good. And, uh, I think that's uh, that's a nice nice part of it. When when you know you didn't come in contact with everybody, and most of the people in South America were VIP people with badges and lots of umbrella girls and and all that kind of stuff, and VIP parties all over that you know some people were excluded from, like riders or some, you couldn't some 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 events you couldn't go to. You had the rider pass, but you couldn't get into it. So it was kind of a special difference. So uh, I think it's going to go back to the the original feel, again. a little more of the original feel, yeah. And, yeah. and they're forcing it. I mean, with the way that they're changing, like how they're, uh, you know, to help mitigate uh, Mapman and yes, and getting rid of that that advantage that some of the teams had uh, yeah. by doing that. Um, you know, I, I remember it was a couple of years back when they were talking about GPS inside the vehicles. Yeah, Peugeot, I think it was. Yeah, or Mini, one of the two. I mean, they yeah. they, they got pretty uh, bunched up about that. You know, so, you know, it's like when outside looking in, you don't realize how they some of these people will use it to their advantage. But sure. Now it's like, here's the road book 10 minutes before. And then I think digital next year. Right. Have you heard? Yeah. Digital. Yeah. So, you know, the map men and, you know, the riders would spend hours and the teams would spend hours trying to figure out where the the waypoints were and then make all these shortcuts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um it's better if it's a level playing field and everybody has to do uh, do the navigating and, and it has it isn't easy like the challenge of the organizers is unbelievable because everything's so far advanced and you know everybody's on google earth figuring out well the you know where it is where the track can only go and that kind of stuff so um yeah i think it's going to be better i think they know that uh to keep the 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 challenge of it equal and fair and reward the best rally rider 
uh, the win, I think that's what's important because, you know, you want the fans to follow it and know that there's the, the best rider won. I think that's essential for the competition side of, of the rally. So uh, I think it's going to go the right way now. Yeah, I agree with that. The the strategy of it, you know, and I think that this year it played a lot, a bigger part. You know, you saw yeah. the swing in in the leaderboard in the top ten, how they kept moving from day to day. Yeah. You know, you could, yeah. you could tell. Okay, this isn't this isn't as easy as it was last year. You know, you're you're yeah. seeing this because because yeah, the rules the rules are changing. Yeah, um, you know, I know that there was a lot of friction over the tire concern, and it yeah. it really or the tire limitations. Yeah. It, it wasn't I didn't think it was that big a deal until I spoke with Skyler about it. And Skyler yeah. was like, no, it's actually dangerous because you have no traction under braking. Yeah, sure. So yeah. I don't I mean, are are there any ideas like I'm kind of curious to hear, like, are there other uh, ideas of things to slow these bikes down? I mean, anything you could think of that would. Um, yeah, it's a good question. You know, <laughs> make them ride 125. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies you and gentlemen, know, we're on 250s this year. <laughs> yeah, mar- well, marketing marketing motorcycles is why the teams invest, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, the number of, yeah, limiting the tires, uh, I agree. It, it's going to be dangerous, uh, um, you know, just for the elite riders, especially the guys up front that, are, front that are trying to go fastest. And the idea, of, well, obviously, was to try and let them, you know, try and make them, spare the tires so they'd last longer and slow and you know beyond the gas less and mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing obviously knowing human knowing race the racer mentality and human behavior they're just going to go to go as fast yeah. as they can and, and and make the best of what they've got mm-hmm. that's human that's racer mentality so uh, limiting the tires yeah if it's dangerous if it's puts everybody uh, those guys in a, in a compromising situation i guess the best idea is to ask the, the top riders and they're obviously they're going to say no let's let, give us as many tires as you want because um you know that's what they they want to do they want to go as fast as they can mm-hmm. and uh uh i don't know what they could do you know i, I thought i thought of that a little bit there's, there's probably a better person to ask about that um you know i think they they're they're going the right direction though mm-hmm. um you know maybe there's limit on power there maybe there's you know, like in the cars, they have uh, an intake restrictor plate mm-hmm. kind of thing uh, that limits that. I don't know how successful they are. I mean, it's so, you know, there's all different sizes for different types in, of engines and cars and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's so complicated. I don't know how they, uh, you know, how they do that uh, to manage it. But um, there could be something like that where there's maybe, a, you know, in road racing, for example, there's... Um, you know, they put the bikes on, on dynos here in Canada mm-hmm. and there's a horsepower limit. So the, the tuners have now the, the greatest challenge is to give them a, as much horsepower for a, a, as broad a range, RPM range in the engine as possible. Okay. And uh, so that's, so it really doesn't slow anybody down. Maybe there might be something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It is kind of not in the spirit of competition. And, you know, there's the reliability factor as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, the Hondas and KTMs and obviously Huskies, are very reliable and the Yamaha's had a, little, a few problems um but they'll get there you know um so yeah you know we, they thought okay we're going to limit the number of engines first and then they're going to time penalize if you change engines and now you, then they seal the seal the engines so you can't change a piston you know on the rest day and things like that is that going to slow guys down probably not either you yeah, know they, they'll just build a stronger part 
Yeah, you, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Or, so, you know, yeah. yeah, but you know, the, the safety record is fairly, uh, fairly good, you know, and, and then, you know, it's really a dangerous thing to get into, especially at those, those guys who go fast. It is, it is, a da- this is a risky sport. Mm-hmm. So things are going to happen. Uh, um, and, you know, so that's opening another big can of worms as far as discussion goes. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, you could maybe you could change the routes to be, you know, way more, you know, tighter, not big, long straightaways, those kinds of things. Make it more enduro like uh, try and keep the speeds down that way. Obviously, you if you're going to fall off, I think you want to fall off at a slower speed rather than a higher speed. So whatever you can do to to ma- manage that i guess is the, one of the best ways of thinking but how to accomplish it i'm not sure yeah that'll be then you think well oh well you just tell them okay well you can only run a uh you know a 13 tooth front and a 50 tooth rear sprocket <laughs> yeah maybe then. 140 tire that's all you get you know yeah. but then you know they'll go back and i'm going well you know how a red line used to be 10,000 well now yeah. this engine actually does 12,000 for sure <laughs> so, yeah. that's exactly it yeah Which they'll is find why- a way around why racing is so much fun to watch because, uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, guys, you know, it's, it's a competitive sport. So people are trying the best to do the, to, to get an advantage on the, on the, the competitors. And that's, what's fun to watch. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's, there's a lot of discussion to be had, you know, uh, they, at one point they were thinking, okay, maybe we won't let them use moose tires. And, you know, back in the day, before Moose was invented, I think Michelin invented Moose because of the Dakar rally. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys were getting flats and having to fix them in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, all sorts of things were going wrong. Uh, and they were thinking, I heard a, a rumor years ago, well, let's eliminate the use of Moose. Well, you know, that's that's really going to have some problems there, too, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's high, a good, speed, it's a good, high speed failure of a tube. You yeah, know, might yeah, be an exactly. interesting. Yeah. yeah, and moose aren't perfect. You know, they they mm-hmm. can you know they can melt down at high speeds too. Mm-hmm. And you know, I guess this year they they didn't have separate courses from bikes to cars and trucks. I think they everybody used the same route. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure on that, but I believe so. Uh, and then they were trying to you know they were having two courses. You know, one for bikes and one for cars and trucks to eliminate that kind of. Uh, dangerous aspect safety uh, kind of concerns as well because you know wherever in rallies where the fast tr- cars and trucks are coming up behind you and it it's scary you know uh, it's like the Baja 1000 scary kind of thing so uh, yeah so uh, yeah I don't know yeah you could do it you know then does it then it isn't the, the Dakar anymore it's something else so yeah I mean and I've and you know I, I've heard a couple of the interviews and it's like you know just let us race just you yeah, know, let us do what we do. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. I think the airbag yeah. is a step in the right direction. The yeah, um, the navigation limiting the navigation. How much time they have with the roadbook in their hand, yeah. which with the electronic is basically going to go to zero. You know, you're just going to have to go ride it. Yeah, um, I could see where they argue. Well, it's dangerous because we don't know. You know, we haven't had a chance to look or mark it our own way. But yeah, yeah, but everybody else is on that. So just slow down. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and well, you know, I, we spoke with Andrew Short the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he's he's a really really thoughtful guy. He's he's put a lot of thought uh, into rallying, and obviously, he's a very um, uh, he's he admits he's not the fastest desert racer, 
Um, but, you know, those kind of guys were, I believe, the, the smarter guys were were the more successful Dakar riders, you know, rally riders were the guys who were, had a lot of common sense and intelligence and, and you know, figured things out. And the road books were, back in the early days, were just handwritten kind of vague ideas of where you might want to go kind of thing. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> I heard story. I talked to guys who rode the first Dakars, and I, and you know, and uh, a friend of mine, a Japanese uh, friend of mine, um, Yoshimasa Sugawara, who's was well known for the Hino being the Hino truck tr- factory truck drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, he said when he started on a Honda, the the roadbook was a, a pad of paper taped to the gas tank, and he learned to navigate by because the guys ahead of him would just rip off the page and throw it in the air. And he just followed the paper trail across the desert. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> so, you know, that's, 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 what, that's what I love about the Dakar is like, man, it is whatever it takes to figure this out yeah. and use everything to your advantage. Uh, you know, the first one, they didn't have catering. There was no food. I spoke to a, uh, one of the French riders who was in the, you know, leading the rally up into the second to last day and his BMW broke. They, there was no catering. There was no food. So they, you had to fend for yourself for food. And he said uh, at one point during the rally, they hadn't eaten in a few days and they found a bushman that had killed a deer and they roasted it over a fire and then stuffed their stomachs full of roasted deer and then went on in the rally. So that that's that's what <laughs> built the dreams for guys like me. Yeah. To, uh, and now, of course, you know, they're in motorhomes cooking up pasta. Stuff, so. Yeah, exactly. They've got full catering, but that wasn't enough food. So we're going to go back to the motorhome and we're going to make yeah. a little more, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's all sorts of, yeah, all sorts of <laughs> stories. And the stories are never ending, um, you know, of the, the early years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some great Facebook Facebook pages uh, that, um, you know, the older, the, the original Dakar people contribute to with old pictures and stuff and i follow that and it's that's what created this uh this um this desire for me to and many other you know to dream about going and doing this adventure and uh it's it's an incredible event you know it's there's nothing else like it in in the world and uh you know it's it's become the how i mean it's it's the household name and a lot of them are like oh they raced a car but they don't understand like the full like you know the road the road books the preparation everything that goes into it yeah. you know but people know it they know it's the Dakar rally yeah you know so that's, yeah worldwide yeah it's absolutely good. so for you i mean with, with all the rallies and all this stuff to you what's the most like memorable like uh, this is i'm never going to forget this one oh uh, well there's been been a lot like <laughs> You know, I'm getting a bit older, so, um, you know, I'm pr- very grateful to be able to have all these great memories of so many different events. But, you know, crossing the Dakar finish line is uh, is a, just a huge emotional high. Um, so for me, that was that's one, you know, feeling I, I'd love to be able to relive that feeling. But it is so, you know, there's a reason why it's it's so revered to to finish that the Dakar is because of that feeling of getting across the finish line is just really unbelievable um uh but we've had a lot of a lot of great great memories you know riding the Baja rally a couple of times and and you know I will always remember winning that adventure bike class I thought that was a really really nice accomplishment um you know, I had a good, pretty good success uh, in uh, various different events. You know, different Targa Newfoundland car rally and 
And uh, we did the, you know, in, in pro truck, we did some desert races and got some nice finishes there. And, and um, you know, the Rally Mongolia, I won the 250 class in 2005. So, you know, those kind of little things are, are just nice little, I you know, I'm not, I don't dwell on that, but it's really nice to know that uh, those kind of things, finishing the, 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 the six days, international six days, six times. So every mm-hmm. one I Everyone I entered, I finished, and they were in three different decades. So I, you know, had a, a really nice, you know, nice, nice memories. You know, to, to 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 now I enjoy thinking about them and telling stories about them. I have a lot of friends that you know like to hear all that stuff. So it's kind of good to get to relive it a bit. Get, yeah, get get around the campfire or or oh some yeah, adult beverages, a beer, or, you know. Oh sure, oh, some yeah. water, whatever. Yeah. No, it's in, you know, to me, rallying uh, or, or events in general, even just going riding with your friends, it's also, it's 85, 90% social. Let's go hang out with your friends. Mm-hmm. It's great to have fun. I still love riding bikes and, and, you know, ripping it up and, and, uh, you know, thrill, you know, having that, uh, sensation of actually, you know, riding the bike, being a little bit in control and having fun and, and battling a little bit with your buddies and, and telling, having a beer later, and telling all the stories, and making fun of each other, and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. That's that's that's. It's just a great, great sport to be involved in. Yeah. And what's the what's the rally scene like in Canada? I mean, is uh-huh. there a lot of people doing road book stuff up there? I mean, I've talked a little bit with Corey uh, from Camel ADB, uh, Mike yeah. Roth, and those guys. Yeah, but what's it like? Well, well, there's actually nothing going on really. Well, right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there really has you know, I I had I did my uh, rally called the Overland Adventure Rally for I think it was seven years, mm-hmm. and the original one of the original ideas of that was to introduce people into reading road books, and we wrote a road book for uh, those rallies, the early ones, mm-hmm. and then it was so there were so few people that actually got into trying to to read it. We actually had the GPS to follow as well. So mm-hmm. humans take the path of least resistance and they just, uh, it's easier to follow GPS or ride with someone. But there were a few people that, you know, r- tried to use the roadbook, and it was very simple because it's in a populated area. So, you, you know, you watch your odometer, you turn right at this signpost, which is very different than riding a rally. Mm-hmm. But ultimately now, you know, the, the, the uh, Baja rally, there's, I think there's 26, 27 people on the mailing list of emails and there's I think 15 or 16 have actually entered for next year for this next this, this year next edition yeah yeah so great response all of a sudden and it took a few years but uh you know there are a lot of people that are, are into it now there's a lot I call them active rally riders there's mm-hmm. 25 26 uh people and I know I guess I know most of them mm-hmm. um you know so I've done my part to try and build or make rally riders here in canada um you know it's it's an it's an expensive undertaking so it generally you have guys who are you know a little bit older that have some money to spend and are looking for a good adventure mm-hmm. um but you know in 2018 eight of us went to ride the rally in morocco rally du Maroc, and mm-hmm. we all had a great time not everybody finished but uh there was there were every single well not I think, uh, let me see, six of the eight guys were first-timers, I believe, and uh, they didn't have any experience reading a road book, but we took took a run at it. I ended up riding with four, you know, four of us rode together 
most of the rally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, you know, I tried to bring them up to speed a little bit. And then ultimately I was following them. Um, but we had a great time, you know, and once I was saying this to Andrew the other day is if you go on one of those things, we're not trying to compete, right? We're just having fun. And in that respect, you can't go wrong. You are going to have a great experience, uh, because you have realistic expectations of what you're getting into, what it's going to be like Mm -hmm. and what you're, what you're trying to get out of it. And if you're just going to, we just rode along and had fun and, and stopped and took pictures with local people during the stages and stuff like <laughs> nice. that because we had a really good handle on what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, uh, that's the way I look at it. And ultimately, if you, first of all, you have to build rally riders and then you have to ideally build guys like who are young, like Skyler and, and people like that, uh, who are then have the potential to, to gain enough experience to actually try and, you know, go fast and, and get better at it and try and turn it into something really good, you know? So, um, but you have to start somewhere and, you know, uh, uh, you know, 20, 20, I hopefully we have 20 people go down there, Canadians. Um, and you know, that's a pretty good percentage of the entry right now. I think it's probably more than anybody, any other country, right? I haven't looked in a a month or two, but yeah. So anyways, it's going to be fun. You know, they're all people I know and they're, it's, we'll watch out for each other and uh, help and help each other. And, and uh, there's lots of first timers, obviously. And there's it's great for business because they're all uh, <laughs> guys buying new nav towers and yeah. road book holders and all that kind of stuff. So it's gonna be good, you know. Yeah. Not for me, but for other, you know the rally for, for everybody else. Rally Rally Motor Shops business, Matthew Clade. <laughs> he's doing good. what I hear. He's doing pretty well because yeah. all these guys, I sent them all to him, and yeah. you know, it's good for them. You know, and, and you know, it's like. In thinking. So you touched on something and, and it's been the underlying theme because talking to and talking to Skylar, uh, yeah. talking to him and all this stuff, it's like you're at the end of the day, if you go and start a rally and you go, I'm going to win this thing. Yeah, that's the last thing you're going to do because For mistakes sure. and pushing and all that stuff. And Skylar's record, you know, it was yeah. when he kind of let go and just said, I'm just going to go do the best I can. I'm just going to go ride this thing. Then it was you can see the increment in growth. Yeah, and so I think that this is like what you're describing is the ultimate adventure. Yeah, the 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 group of guys you guys went with to Morocco. Yeah, uh, yeah a few of them DNF'd, but uh, guys, we're standing in Morocco. You know? Oh yeah, you can't go wrong. <laughs> no, it's like we're we're in Morocco riding bikes. You know, who yeah. cares? <laughs> you know? It's yeah, that's and that's the way I look at you know things. You know. Well, yeah, the Dakar as well. I really wanted to finish. I mean, that was my goal. And there was a bit of pressure there because, you know, I knew the world is watching and, you know, I had a, you know, a lot of, a lot of a burden on my shoulders because if people were count, you know, sponsors invested and people were counting on, you know, you know, it would have been hard to come back home and not have finished. And it was touch and go there for quite a few, three or four <laughs> times there. But, uh, you know, it was, um, yeah, if you go, like, even the guys who didn't finish, we got them, you know, we got permission to for them to come to the bivouac nights out in the desert, and mm-hmm. they had a great time, and they rode their own rode their own bikes just down the roads to get there and had that experience, and yeah. and I, 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 I spoke with David Castera a few times prior to, and he says, don't worry, you guys are going to have, I will, I will make sure you guys have a great time, and the riding was unbelievable, like, Morocco is just... I still have, you know, I can still remember beautiful scenes and we were 
just unbelievably good adventure bike riding, uh, adventure riding and, and uh, great rally. And he, we were so well received there. Um, you just, we just had a great time all and all really good guys. Everybody pitched in, uh, no complaining, you know, no, uh, you know, Hey, you didn't tell me this was going to happen. You know, there's, you have to cert- ultimately, when you get into these rally, you go to a rally, the buck stops with the person, right? Everything, everything's, you've got to, that's what's fun about it is it's, you know, you got to make your, at your own devices to, to make this happen, to, to keep safe, to ride, to fix things, to navigate, Mm -hmm. to adjust to a, uh, you know, a country like Morocco or, you know, Saudi Arabia or even Mexico or, you know, there's, it's not home. So that's what you pay for. That's what, that's what the, that's what you want to do. Mongolia is unbelievable. (laughs) You go there, it's like, wow, I've been riding in Mongolia. It was just unbelievable. You know, there's, you're out in the middle of nowhere. In those rallies, they take you to places you can't get to. You can't support yourself any any other way than going in a rally Mm -hmm. for fuel and food and stuff. So you're, it's just, uh, it's expensive, but what you get out of it is, is in this modern day age, it's one of those really, uh, the true adventures you can, you can take part in. And it's actually, there's a competition involved too. So you can, if you're competitive, you're trying to do something. Sometimes, you know, I try and, you know, I, you know, try and compete. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately it's very satisfying to do all that, get all that adventure. Plus, you know, you get to race and, and, and try and do something in, in, a, in your class or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, you know, actually do well and, and yeah, on it. I mean, it, it same. I mean, it's something that you, you know, you hear it over and over again. It's it's the adventure. So I didn't. Yeah, I hear what you said earlier about how you know it seems like when you put a road book in front of somebody, it, it's very daunting. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it's kind of like you said it perfectly—the path of least resistance, hmm, GPS yeah. or or roadbook. Yeah, for people getting into it, like what you know, uh, with the group that you're working with from Canada, right? That are yeah. coming down to Baharelli. Yeah. What are the tips? What are some of the stuff that you've told them, like, or, or maybe coached them with on roadbooks and reading roadbooks, or? Well, yeah, it's yeah. I, uh, well, I, I, you know, people ask me all the time and, you know, we were asking Andrew, you know, how he views it. I've asked, you know, the best riders in the world what they do. How do you ride so fast and still read the road book? And he said, uh, to carry Tina and want just won a stage in Dakar. And he said, just do what the road book says, you know, in typical Finnish fashion. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, control your emotions, mm-hmm. make a good decision. <laughs> what does the road book do? Are you sure you're here? at this distance and then take your time to look at what the tulip says what every other little uh you know clue that they give you in the road book mm-hmm. uh you know there's always a little clue there somehow and try and get in the head of the author and and you'll see a pattern of how the author is trying to give you an, enough information to navigate properly and a really good road book author is that's a difficult job like uh, we've been in Mongolia, <laughs> we're we're lost. We had no idea, and then we'll flag someone down, like from the organizer, and say, "Hey, we can't figure out where you are." And then he'll point to a little drawing in the in the in the tulip and say, "Look, look here," and then look outside, and you'll see something that looks similar. And, and oh yeah, okay, now I get it. No, we go left here or something like that. So there's always there's always a clue. Like I, and even in the Baja Rally, it's very very satisfying. You come to a um, there's all sorts of places where there's a, uh, you know 
four or five different tracks in front of you. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a little thing there. And there'll be four or five guys looking around, figure, trying to figure out where they are and which one to go to. But if you stop and have a look, maybe take a deep breath to have a drink of water and then clear your mind and then look at it and say, okay. And then maybe I always look at the ground because, you know, I'm in mid pack or something. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the general consensus is a lot of tracks went this way, which normally you shouldn't follow tracks because a lot of people will go up that trail the wrong way, turn around and come back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, use your common sense. And then it's also, especially in Baja, like Baja is, you know, 100 kilometers wide and with a highway up the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as long as you know which way is east or west, you really can't get lost. You're going to hit either the ocean, the Sea of Cortez or a highway. You can't really get lost. (laughs) Yeah, you really can't get lost. Yeah. You know, forever. You know, like in the Dakar, it was pretty crazy because you could, you know, be lost. I've talked to guys who way back in the early days, we're in a Sonoto Yamaha Mitsubishi support truck, but they're in the rally. You know, they're a fast support, so they're driving along with spare parts for their team. And uh, they got lost. They got out of water, or and they, for some some reason, they they got lost. They ran out of water, water ran out of fuel, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they ultimately got saved. Got it. Got into the next bivouac and went up to the organizers and said. Uh, it's okay. You you can stop looking for us now. And the organizer organizer goes, "What? You were lost." <laughs> I mean, in those days, it was scary. You know, before there were emergency locator transmitters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But in in the Baja Rally, you know, just ride along with the group and 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 really try and use your common sense and do exactly what the road the the road book says and don't second guess don't follow other people if someone comes back at i've had this happen all the time someone's riding driving riding or driving backwards on the course towards you mm-hmm. all right even if they have a full-time navigator in there there was the only job is it to navigate i don't trust him i don't turn around automatically and think okay that's this guy knows where he's going because yeah. you know they're no better than you right they they're turned around they're lost they haven't been watching the odometer it's off or something like that mm-hmm. so yeah i trust your own trust your own instincts and your own judgment and, and try and build some confidence in it and mm-hmm. i think that's the best best so, way to look at it so coming up you know basically is come up with your system and then just have faith in in that yeah you know yeah for sure yeah it, you know and i've been lost and you know, all the time. It's because, you know, I, my, 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 my mind wanders. What happens? Uh, I don't really, I'm not really too worried about it either. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just having fun riding sometimes. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, there's, I just lazy, you know, I'm not the best navigator in the world by any, any stretch of the imagination. I'm just an average guy, but, you know, I, and I, I, just, I have a different outlook on going into these rallies because once you've gone there and had fun and riding, uh, you know, it's you're all good. <laughs> you know, it's all good. Whatever happens, you know, yeah. especially this one coming up, you know, I'm not, I'm older. So, you know, the good thing is that it's going to beautiful locations in Baja Mm-hmm. And you know, if it's getting late, and you know, there's a big loop out in the out in the wilderness that you know is going to be two or three hours, and we're going to get home in the dark. I'm going to come to the highway and just drive down the highway and call it a day. Yeah. But again, my it's I'm just there to have fun and socialize and take people down there and and uh, have have a good time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not I've punished myself enough over the 54 <laughs> years of riding. You know, the cold, wet, mud, crap. Uh, beat myself up in you know just un, uh, so many f- i've lost track of the number of days on a motorcycle i've spent 
so, you know, I've had, you know, I've done my part, <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't have to beat myself up anymore to prove anything or anything like that. Yeah. Just go out and, and enjoy the adventure. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, and also, I mean, just like with the car, luckily, uh, with Mike Johnson and the rally comp and yeah. having tracking, you know, I've been doing timing and scoring with them and, yeah. It's awesome to just be able to send a message. Hey, you know, go to the highway. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it. You know, we're yeah. done. Um, yeah. You know, or or take this, you know, cut here. You know, when you can when you can see it, you know, from bird's eye view and you can just tell people, you know, where which way to go to keep them safe or sure. at least you know where they're at. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. That it's yeah. so that's another reason why going in rallies is, uh, you know, you, they're expensive. But mm-hmm. man, when you need medical support. It's there, and that's what you pay for. It's like paying for an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about it is if you go on a rally, you can actually have fun riding it and, yeah. and turn it up a bit and slide around and have some fun. And if things go wrong, knock on wood, it doesn't. But, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't. But if you do, you know you've got someone who's going to pick you up and take you to a really good hospital and save your life. And that service is very, very expensive. And that's where the cost of it rallying comes in. And it's as simple as that. You can go out and ride the same routes and stuff by yourself or with your buddies. But if things go wrong, you better have all your duck in a row. Yeah, you better right? have a really good game plan. And I mean really that's good. right. <laughs> yeah. So guys like, you know, the Motomedic guys mm-hmm. that uh, support the rally in Baja, well, anywhere, but... You know, those I always made it a point to go and say hi to them and say thanks and talk to them and mm-hmm. and you know appreciate them because they're volunteers, they're out there, but they're that's their that's the backup plan. That's your first line of defense when you fall down and people fall down, unfortunately, and they need those guys. And that's so comforting to know that you can have fun riding a bike at a little at a good clip, or, you know, exciting pace, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're there. So all those all those guys like Mike and uh, you know there's just any number of sweep riders. Most of them are friends of mine on on social media, and you know they know me, and I go there and say thanks and thanks guys because you know I, I know what I've seen lots of things go wrong for a lot of riders too, and it's not much fun. And uh, you know I've waited with a, a guy in the Fort I think it was 2015 rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Baja and he hurt he fell and hurt himself uh it's a great great story I waited there for the helicopter to arrive and and um you know that was good fun it was it wasn't good fun for him but uh it was good for me because I wasn't trying to compete I was just there as a journalist writing a story and mm-hmm. and and enjoying the day and you know if, I, if someone's going to stay there and wait it might as well be me because there's other guys who've flown in from England and they want to ride and stuff so you know that's uh, you know go you guys go ahead I'll wait here so that that that's that's the kind of thing that um you know I look at as a as a good story to tell it and it reflects good you know you have to do it anyways if you've come across an injured rider mm-hmm. but uh it reflects well on me uh you know uh, caring about things and hopefully someone would do that for me if I uh, fell down yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people like. I mean, I I don't know, you know, with the the listeners, but knowing that, but yeah, it is it is one of the rules of rally. You know, if if yeah. the rider in front of you is down, you're required to stop. Yeah, um, and you're you're the first line of defense unless the next guy has either medical experience or you need their help to yeah. move them to a safer place or whatever. But then you get your time back. So it's like yeah. it's it's accounted for. Where when you're out doing a Baja sprint race, it's like you know you just hope for the thumbs up. And then, you know, you, you just keep going because you're yes. on the clock and you don't get time back. 
Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. it's a different you know it's a different thing, and then especially the remote areas. Um, yeah. That you get into. I mean, at least I know because my experience is through Baja Rally. It's like with with Scotty and Mauricio working with the landowners to get permission to yeah. go ride into these places that. Yeah. You know, I I'll never forget when Steve you know Steve Hengeveld you know Honda A Team you know knows every yeah. inch he he's got names for every other rock. You know, or the yeah. cattle guards yeah. have names. He knows this place so well. He's got. Yeah. I've never been down these roads. You know, I've never yeah. been in this area, and so, yeah, having having a team behind you, and then having your fellow competitors and rally raiders, you know, with you to yeah. to help in that case is is, is huge. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the, the guys up front are going fast, right? They're taking risks, and oh yeah. Uh, well, everybody is, but you know, uh, the you know potential for things to go wrong is. Is can, and that's why being a good navigator is essential because you know you got to stay on the tr- on the course mm-hmm. because if you're you know off the course and you've gone down around and fall, then people aren't going to find you. Mm-hmm. So it's a safety thing as well to be a you know stay on the course and uh, and make sure everything. That's what you. That's that. That's why uh, you know all the safety measures are very different than uh, you know in the old Dakar times where. You know, there was no, <laughs> there was virtually nothing. There was no tracking device. There was no one, it was all done by hand. Uh, you know, there was, if you got lost, like those those guys I know in that Mitsubishi, I mean, that, that could be fatal, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, on that, that uh, the Dakar's reputation was based on that, on that era where there was really, it was the Wild West as, mm-hmm. as far as safety goes and things like that. Yeah. When I when I did the Dakar in 2001, it, it, there was you know an emergency locator beacon that uh, was on your bike that um, you know if you were on the course and someone found you down, they, you could press that button and then the helicopter would come within a short period of time. They they said that the response time was quicker in the Dakar than it was in the middle of Paris. So, uh, anyways, that's. Yeah interesting and now of course they've got it refined down to they know where everybody is at all times like uh the rally comp thing is great great uh, addition to the, uh, the rally world well and now i think even with the with the devices that they're running now for dakar they it's actually a line of communication so you can actually talk to them so it's now yeah. it's like a sat phone integrated yeah you know and and i know the baja rally you know they that's sat phones required yeah um, but it's for good reason obviously yeah, it's well. Even the rally, rally du Maroc, they had a device that would talk to you if you fell if you fell down. If it's tipped over, it knows, and then someone will say, "Are you okay?" Um, so I fell down, you know, obviously a few times in the dunes, and you know, you get someone to say, pick up my bike right away before they know that I'm down. So you know, it can mm-hmm. kind of um, they probably are busy with you know maybe maybe busy with other more serious situations and they don't need a guy who's just tipped over in the sand dune to be distract them or anything like that but um yeah it's that's that's a good thing you know it's it's the safety side of it is good uh much more evolved so i think that's um it's it's an important part of it yeah absolutely i mean if you if you were going to go out in the middle of nowhere and adventure like you said i mean that's there's no better than having at least people that know where you're supposed to be at and, and, yeah. and then how to come and find you. 
You know, yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. And, and like you said, Baja is not a bad place to get lost in. You know, worst case scenario, oh. you end up at one of the beaches and <laughs> <laughs> find a fishing village and you're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The people will come out and help you. It's a great place. Yeah. I was thinking uh, this year I haven't gone anywhere since. Um, well, we did a little ride in Canada last September, but I the last time I left Canada was uh, March of last year. And we've gone. I've gone down to Baja to ride or do you know something. But we did an annual trail ride every year since, since 2008, mm-hmm. except this year. Wow! And on average, we've gone down there twice a year. Mm-hmm. On average, sometimes more, sometimes less. But we've done this beautiful Baja ride to all the through all the single track trails with you know Poncho from DS Pro Adventure and. Oh, yeah. Juan Carlos from Baja Voyager and all those kind of guys. We've done so many beautiful rides down there and always been so well received. Such great food, beers cold, trails are great, beautiful scenery, you know, and it's quite, quite easy for us to go and have such a great adventure. You know, this is a Baja is the closest kind of place you can go to. You can go to the southwestern part of the States, which a lot of people do to go and ride, but. You know, when you go to Baja, it's a special experience, as everybody knows. It's a whole, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely different. And then Poncho, I mean, he's, uh, I've got stories with him. He he has, uh, he is quite the navigator, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, between him and then uh, I'm sure you've met uh, Dave Peckham. Oh, yeah. 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 But, you know, between them, watching them duel it out in the the UTVs. Yeah. You know, so it's like... it's really, really cool. And I mean, obviously, Poncho is the same. He he knows, he really knows every trail down there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we've ridden with, with him a lot yeah. over the years. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, and it's his backyard. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, it, that's, you know, no matter where you are, like riding in Mongolia, <laughs> you know, is a, is a massive, wide open country with no fences mm-hmm. and very few paved roads. It's like, <clears throat> You know, the whole, say, Midwestern part of the states or, you know, in Canada, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, the prairies, it's like grasslands. You know, there's signs in the middle of the middle of a, a, a massive, you know, you can see the horizon in all directions. There'd be a sign with the next town being 650 kilometers down this dirt track in that general direction. And if you go 650 kilometers, you will get to where you want to go. And... But that the Mongolian people, it's their backyard. It's like, you know, me driving around my neighborhood, you know, going to the gas station or something. Mm-hmm. They know exactly where they are. They know where the bivouac is the next night. Mm-hmm. And they were actually, in those days, some of them were Google Earthing where the, once they got the roadbook, where the, where the waypoints were, were, uh, were going to be. And then they knew the shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Because, how I know that is because, again, I was just riding to have fun. And uh, one morning I followed a little buggy uh, and I knew it was going off, off the course mm-hmm. and I followed it and followed it. And I thought, Oh crap, this is, I hope these guys are in the race. You know, it's starting to doubt. And then drove, you know, 40 kilometers off the course, made a hard left off the road through a tiny little two track way off in the grassland. I rode up beside them and I pointed at my number and says, please, now we're off course, please make sure that if I'm lost, I've followed you guys. And I was, it was a little bit of an experiment for me. So we went for a, a long, long way. And ultimately, we got up to a, we rode past people's front, you know, front doors and farms and little yurts and, and huts and stuff like that, right past the front door, dogs chasing us and stuff. And finally, we get up the way up in the top of a hill. 
in grassland. And kilometers off in the distance, I see a tiny dust cloud, a bike coming up a valley. I thought, oh, this is what these guys, they're intersecting the course. So I rode down this really rocky hill, Mm -hmm. left those guys behind and intersected the course, made a hard right and followed a guy to the checkpoint. And of course, I only lost about an hour (laughs) doing that because it was so slow going. It was way quicker to follow the course and to actually, and, go the, yeah. you know, it was no advantage, zero advantage. I, I lost an looked, hour, but it looked, but great it was on fun. Paper. <laughs> it was a fun story to tell. And it was fun to see what they were doing. Cause I was really wondering in Mongolia, the bivouacs were generally just outside a little town and they had, um, wifi or some sort of way of connecting to Google earth. And they were actually, okay, let's have a look. And they knew where they were and it was like they were backyard. So it was interesting. But for me, there's, the whole countryside was featureless. You know, it was basically tracks off in all directions and there was almost nothing to read in the road book other than an exact distance. And some of the, some of the distances in the tulips were, you know, a hundred meters apart. I mean, you had to have a really accurate kind of um, odometer reading to make a good decision. Otherwise you'd go down the wrong track and it'd take you on the wrong side of the hill rather than the right. So I made a lot of, a lot of U-turns in that rally, but it was good fun. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a good adventure. Yeah, man, that's it. It's, it's crazy. Cause it, you, like you see, you, you have to have faith in what you're, you got to reconcile often or as often as you can. You sure. Know, okay. I know for sure I'm here. I'm going to make sure yeah. my odometer's on point. Everything's on point. Yeah, and then you know, and then continue to ride off into the sunset. Yeah, and hopefully oh, yeah. you was... end up at the bivouac. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's da- it's scary because you could go many, many, many kilometers in the wrong direction. You could ride. I've you know ridden a couple hundred kilometers by myself, riding along, see nothing. Occasionally, you see a little white yurt off in the distance or something. Mm-hmm. And if you stop, wait 10 minutes, someone will, on a horse will come up and say, Hey, what's going on? Just have a look at what this, you know, odd looking alien that's in their countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, or a kid would ride by on a horse, you know, he hadn't seen anything for 30, 40 kilometers. And the guy, a kid would ride up to you, ride, by, ride beside you and then off into the distance again. So it's really a, a special experience. Those kind of countries, you know, it's, it's fun. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. Well, I mean, hopefully one of these days we'll get out. Uh, we'll get out that far. Yeah, <laughs> for, you never know. For now, it's Baja. They, but you never know. They've had to cancel that or postpone that rally this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, it's. Um, yeah. I guess you know the COVID situation isn't. Uh, it's. It's a small. It's you know a very uh, de- sparsely populated populated country. Not a lot of visitors. So I guess they're trying to protect their. Uh, the situation and stuff, but uh, yeah. I stay in touch with Mongolian people, you know, frequently, and they're they're uh, very nice people. Nice, let's kind of see what they're what they're up to. Well, it'd be cool. I mean, you know, they get a get their event, you know, back once everything is kind of normalized a little bit, and, and yeah, know, get back get back to work, and the borders are opened up, and hopefully yeah. for September. I know, um, I know, yeah. Sonora Rally's coming up in May. So that's starting, that's starting to get close. So yeah, we'll, you know, yeah. We'll, we'll see how it, how it progresses, but yeah. Yeah. Well, our province of Ontario here is locked down for a month again. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's starting to wear thin around here. I think that's why we had such a, a good, uh, response to the Baja rally is because people are so pent up. Got let's go do, let's start planning something. Let's start working on something. Uh, you know, uh, and I think that's where it um, 
why we had such a good response is because people are just getting having they have cabin cabin fever. Yeah, yeah. We, the, the winter's now just over mm-hmm. here, um, and people are want to get out and do stuff. So yeah. I think that's one of the reasons, anyways. Yeah. And I, you know, that was that was a conversation that, that we talked about. I'm going there's um, based on other business stuff that that my parents were doing, but there was a lot of people that would yeah come down from Canada, and for many people like. They don't spend typically spend the winter in Canada. They travel for it and get out of Canada. Yeah, a know. lot of people. Yeah. yeah, and so that's been very limited, you know, or you know, has that's right. The number has dwindled. Oh yeah, there's. I think well, the, the snowbirds. You know, they call them snowbirds. Uh, I know lots of people went to Arizona or Florida for the winter. People have second homes and all sorts of stuff that they just they had to stay home, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. Hope fingers crossed for uh, for September. There we go. Fingers crossed, and we we'll get some rallies, rallies going, and more rally raiders, more people to go out and, and get lost. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, it's uh, yeah. I think is if people come back with a, a really nice experience, and the word gets out, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, then slowly you build them up, build up rally riders, and there, there are some uh, younger guys that are interested, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, a lot of people are. It's they don't understand it, and uh, they don't. Uh, they're intimidated by the whole thing, and uh, some of them are like that. You know, that they're a little bit afraid to take uh, take the jump, and they don't want to be lost. People are afraid of being lost, which is the good thing about Baja Rally is you really, like I said, I I don't know. You'd have to make a pretty. You really have to know not know at all anything about you know where you are at all, and mm-hmm. you know you can look at a map and kind of figure out yeah. you know where you're going and stuff. And I've taken enough guys down there now to ride, and they're kind of familiar with it. But a lot of people are intimidated, which I understand. You know, it's not not it's not for everybody to jump in both feet. Mm-hmm. First time I went to Mongolia, I went by myself. I didn't know anybody. Shipped a bike over to Japan, mm-hmm. waited in the airport in Beijing, and. You know, I was supposed to meet a group of people that were going from Beijing to Mongolia, and I waited for a couple hours. I was starting to get worried because I didn't even know where the hotel was. And finally, someone tapped me on the shoulder, "Hey, Lawrence, come out, come with us." And they I just got swept away with the whole crowd, and it was great fun. You know, <laughs> had no one's very few people spoke English, one or two people, and mm-hmm. you know, sorted out the riders' meeting. It was like, oh man, what do they say here? <laughs> <laughs> but I like I'm the one. I like that stuff. I yeah. like to tr- try and figure that out. So it was kind of cool. Nice. Nice, nice. Well, cool. Well, so it yep. sounds like we're going to see you. Uh, hopefully, with everything go, we'll we'll see you in yep. a in a couple months. Yeah, down in, in uh, September, uh, bells on, and we'll bring a bunch of guys down there having fun and uh, lots of hopefully hangers on. You know, I'm trying to get people to come and you know work on bikes for people. You know, and and get that experience and and do that as well. And uh, you know, bring people down. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, get well, I figured you know experience. To, to put that any rally on is a huge undertaking and it's kind of a shame if they only do it for a few people. So, you know, if it, you know, the whole thing of having it uh, more entries is the rally is going to be better because uh, the cost of putting it on is going to be spread by over more people. And, more people. Yeah. and that's, it's important because it, you know, just to do the planning and stuff is a huge amount of work. Right. So yeah. you gotta be, uh, logistics and everything. support yeah gotta support the you know you don't want it to, rallies are great you know they're they they need to be supported and uh and that's that's uh 
you know, I recognize, I haven't organized a, a, a rally raid like that, but I've organized enough events to know that even a, a small event is a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's good. It, yeah. it always on paper looks like, oh yeah, this will be easy, and then it's not. Oh yeah, <laughs> where do you start doing it? Yeah, exactly. You know, I've, I, yeah, like here in Canada, you, I don't think you could do a rally raids unless you took it way in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. you know like and you'd it'd be so hard to get people to go that far out of out, out in the countryside you know in the, and it's very very difficult like we're remote right you know but baja's remote but you know there's yeah. a <laughs> whole nother level out there <laughs> there are 37 million people and i think 90 percent of them live within 150 kilometers of the u.s canadian border the whole and it's the second largest country in the world the whole rest of it is empty yeah. <laughs> so there are roads out there but you know it, it there's nothing out there yeah. and uh you know it could you could do a rally of some sort but uh, it's not like morocco or or uh, you know baja or sonora or something like that or even mongolia there's you're it's very, very difficult to, to support yourself out there and, and have medical support. Even helicopters have kind of finite distances they can fly and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's a, it would be a, a pretty difficult undertaking. But, yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm so kind of, you know, why me? But okay. Yeah. <laughs> You know. No, no, I, I, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, and it's and the experience and and hearing some of your adventures and and stuff like that. I mean, it's the end goal is is to get more people interested in rally and yeah. you know, and I think that the more we talk, you know, we get these underlying themes. You know, when it comes time yeah. to the rally raids and and how to get into it and learning to navigate. Yeah. So, so that's the yeah. end goal. But, well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, and, I appreciate uh, it, Lawrence. I'll I'll spread it around when it's ready to be uh, heard and uh, yeah I'll get it uh, I'll get it posted up uh, we'll see it on Facebook and then I also if I'm not mistaken um, you do have there you have a book out right yeah I do yeah okay yeah you can it's called to the car and back it's been out for a few years it's yeah. on uh, you can get it digitally you can listen to it on uh, you know. Uh, narrated it mm-hmm. and it's all on amazon so everybody can buy it it's sold well over the years mm-hmm. um you know it was, it was it's a cool story i mean andrew short told me that he wrote he read it and it kind of motivated him to get involved mm-hmm. and uh he liked it so uh yeah well, i'll get the link uh, on there yeah thank you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah of course it. yeah any i mean you know we want to like i said this is the end the end goal is is we get more more people interested in rally raid and and grow the sport so yeah, great. Well, thank you. That's a yeah, plan. I appreciate yeah. it. Of course, yeah. Thank you, Lawrence. We'll, we'll see you in September. Sounds like a plan. Okay. All right, sir. See ya. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Lawrence Hacking, Canadian writer. Extraordinary. I it's it blown away by, you know, how much history as far as writing and, and that he's done, but it's really cool to see the underlying of you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, hey, if you're going to go out into these rally raids things, is just look at it as an adventure. And, you know, it's just go out and finish that and, and be out there and be exposed and, and and have fun and let everything else kind of fall into place. So it's really, really cool to see that uh, as a as an underlying theme or as the theme that keeps coming up or reoccurring. And so we'll see. Um, We'll see how this progresses. You know, hopefully we get uh, we get some open borders and and the event for Baja Rally uh, in September grows. 
Uh, Sonora Rally already coming up in May. So should be interesting. Uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, looking forward to both events either way. That should be a lot of fun. So anyway, that is going to do it for this week. If you like the podcast, don't forget, like, subscribe, throw five stars at it. I don't know, something like that. But you can also find us on uh, Facebook if you'd like to comment or maybe there's questions that you may want to ask uh, Lawrence. You'll see it posted uh, on the Chasing Waypoints Facebook page. Uh, or you can also follow us on Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official. And then also check the links in the description uh, for the podcast. I'll have the uh, Lawrence's book uh, tagged there so you guys can read and, and learn more about his adventures from Dakar and back. So anyway... Hope everybody's having a great Sunday, great weekend so far, nice weather out in San Diego. I hope there's nice weather wherever you're listening from, and we will see you guys next week.